Be Christ's church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. Church, would you, would you bow with me? God, you, you're great. And you are the only one worthy of our praise. God, you are greatly to be praised. We thank you for the gift of breath in our lungs. We thank you even more for the gift of your Holy Spirit, for the breath of heaven. God, for your presence among us. And we pray that as we gather as your people and look into your word, that you would meet us where we are and you would take us to where you want us to go. God, you would take us deeper into the heart of God. God, that you would take away from us anything that we don't need and you would give us everything that we need that we don't have of our of our own goodness. God, it's, it's got to be from you. It's all of grace. God, thank you for so graciously giving us uh, your word. Thank you for giving us the book of Acts that tells us so much about who your people are to be uh, between the times of your coming, between your ascension and the time of your coming again. God, open our eyes as we, we turn to your word. Open our eyes that we might see the beautiful things that are in it, that we would behold Christ be renewed, restored this day in the hearing of the gospel. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 42. Acts 13, beginning in verse 42. If you have your copy of God's Word, and I hope you do, please join me in turning there. We're going to begin where we ended last week. Last week, Luke established for us Paul's typical pattern whenever he comes to a new city on a mission trip. In this case, he arrives in Antioch of Pisidia, and and wherever he arrives in a new city, if he has the opportunity to preach Jesus to Jews and to Jewish converts and to God-fearers, he begins in the synagogue. And at the synagogue, he preaches Jesus as king, Jesus as the royal son descended from David's throne. His life, his death, his resurrection. He proclaims these things. He heralds these things as the way that God has kept his promises to Israel. And his invitation in this sermon, and these sermons that he will preach, no doubt, on the rest of his missionary journeys, his invitation to Jews in the synagogue and to God-fears in the synagogue is simple. If you want to be a part of God's people his true people, the people who will endure with King Jesus forever. If you want to be a part of true Israel, what Paul calls it in Romans, you've got to receive Israel's king. You must receive Israel's sin-forgiving, death-conquering king and follow him. Otherwise, verse 41, beware. Beware of God's certain and coming judgment. Paul announces that Jesus is the way that God keeps his promises to Israel. 
that God has no plan B. If ethnic Jews reject their king, God has not failed. Rather, Israel has failed to see and receive their king. Israel, true Israel, those who are God's people, His true people, are living in His borderless land forever as it fills the earth and will one day be revealed at Christ's coming as we behold the new heavens and the new earth. King Jesus and all who trust in Him, Jew or Gentile, will be there. Not because of their biology or anything good in themselves, but because Jesus did for Israel and for people from all nations what they could never do for themselves. What did Jesus do? He took sin and its penalty and he canceled it. And then in his resurrection, he offered the righteousness that God requires to be with God forever if you will believe in him. In every city, Paul and Barnabas proclaim this same message. In every city, they ensure that ethnic Jews hear that their king has come. As we've seen, many Jews indeed receive their king. Thousands in Jerusalem and Judea have believed and followed King Jesus. Here in Antioch of Pisidia, Jews again are the first to hear of him and some believe. But... Some reject him. What are we to make of the Jewish rejection of Jesus? Here in Antioch of Pisidia, we learn that it means God will turn the attention of his disciples to the Gentiles. Today we learn, we see that Jewish rejection of Jesus does not mean that God has failed. Instead, it signals that God is sending out ambassadors not only to Israelites, but to all nations as well. The king sent through Israel came not just on a rescue mission for fallen Israelites, but for people from all nations to the end of the earth. That's good news for everyone in this room. True Israelites, the true people of God, are not defined by their biology, but by their trust in Jesus. That's what we see today as Paul and Barnabas turn to the Gentiles. We're going to consider verses 42 through 52, and we're going to break it into sections because I want to see it, make sure that you can see how the point flows from the text. So we'll read first 42 and 43. Would you hear with me the word of God? As they went out, the people begged that these things, what things? The things about Jesus being the fulfillment of the promises of God to Israel, that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. First point this morning is, is simple. Some Jews were receptive to the gospel, and some received the gospel. There are some who are descendants of Israel, that are Israelites, that are joining the true people of God, true Israel. As Paul wraps up his synagogue sermon with a warning, we see two responses, right? First, there are some like, hey, that was pretty cool. 
we'd like to come back next week and hear more. That's not a bad response. I mean, it's, it's a pretty good response. But then there are others who are like, I'm not waiting until next week. I, I'm going to follow Paul and Barnabas right now. In fact, many of them are not like, hey, that was cool. You know, the chatter after the sermon. Sometimes it's a good sermon. Sometimes it's average. And sometimes Daniel didn't do very good. Everybody just scurries to lunch. But man, sometimes, man, that was a really good sermon. And there's, there's some talk, man, maybe we'd like to hear more about that. Well, there were some who wanted to do more than just linger and talk about it being good. They, they followed these ambassadors of Jesus. They followed Paul and Barnabas. Many Jews, many of them, and devout converts to Judaism. What are devout converts to Judaism? Those are Gentiles who had heard about Yahweh, the one true God of Israel, and the promise to send Jesus, and they were like, we're going we're gonna to become Jewish as well. So they went through the whole right of becoming Jewish. So they don't wait. What did they do? Verse 43, they followed Paul and Barnabas. Now, now this is the language of discipleship, church. Do you see that word followed? They followed Paul and Barnabas. Did, did, have you noticed today in Christian circles, even in Christian circles, that there's a lot of talk about leadership Everybody wants to be a leader, and nobody wants to follow. Like, even in Christian writing today, just do a Google search on Christian leadership. It's everywhere. Man, we got to raise up Christian leaders. We got to be leaders, 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 leaders. Where is that in the Bible? The Bible says we need to raise up good followers. Belonging to Jesus is about following Jesus. It's not about breaking the mold. It's about being molded by Jesus. The church is not lacking for innovation. It is lacking in the time-tested replication of the same ways of following Jesus that people have followed Jesus since Jesus came. You want to be a leader, follow Jesus. Christian leaders are marked not by their innovation, their skill, their adeptness. They're marked by their steady, consistent followership of King Jesus. You want to find a church leader, find somebody who's running after the heart of God, who delights in the gospel, who turns the attention not to himself or herself, but back to Jesus. We need followers of Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, be imitators of me. Oh, that sounds arrogant, Paul. As I am of Christ. When Christ returns, we are going to celebrate followers of Jesus. We're going to celebrate faithful followership. We're going to celebrate the names of people that we've never known, who got in the trenches, who took out the trash, who served others in Jesus' name. And we didn't know it at the time, but God worked through their followership to win the world to Jesus. That was a little pastoral sidebar, kind of for free. But I, I'm, I'm getting like, overwhelmingly frustrated by the call for leaders who aren't first followers. Follow Jesus. Memorize the Word. Study the Word. Read the Word. Don't bring your innovation to the table. Bring Jesus to the table, and Jesus will raise you up. Anyway, it seems these Jews and converts to Judaism who followed Paul and Barnabas, that many of them actually believe the gospel. 
They, they follow them and they believe the message. They're like, we want to we hear more. And what did Paul and Barnabas urge them to do? They urged them to continue in the grace of God. Barnabas did the exact same thing back in chapter 11 when he went down and saw the Gentile converts in Antioch of Syria. He shows up, yep, they really believe, and he's like, don't stray, don't fall away, continue in the grace of God. So they move from calling for saving faith in Jesus to calling for endurance in Jesus. Why? Because true saving faith in Jesus is a faith that endures. It's not signing a card, it's not praying a prayer, checking a box, and then checking out of the church. Those who trust in Jesus truly will truly endure to the end. Jesus is not a religious fidget spinner. He is not a fad to be easily embraced and then subsequently discarded the next fad that comes along. Saving faith is enduring faith, and God graciously uses calls for endurance in his grace in the hearts of those who have been rescued by his grace to lead them to endure to the end all by grace. Paul and Barnabas want to ensure that the gospel seed has not fallen on rocky or weedy soil, but upon the fertile soil of hearts transformed by the gospel, hearts that will grow some gospel fruit. We, we don't know uh, what is in the minds of Paul and Barnabas when they call them to endurance, but in just a few verses, persecution is going to come. Testing is going to come. Maybe they anticipate the persecution that's going to come, or maybe they just know our hearts. Maybe they know how easily that we can take what God has done and we can make it about us. We can turn it into a game that we play that's about our preferences and our background and our expertise and our specialty. And they say, no, latch on to the message of the grace of God. Never depart from the goodness of God in Christ in the gospel. Never get over the fact that God sent his son to do for you what you could never do for yourself. Stay in that lane. Continue in that message. Sometimes people are like, man, you just preach the gospel all the time that God did for us in Jesus what we couldn't do for ourselves. Isn't there something else that we need to know? Well, at the end of the day, not really. I mean, it spills over into different applications in different areas of your life. But at the end of the day, if you try to get beyond the grace of God, you're out of bounds. Stay right there. God did it. God did it. I didn't deserve it, but praise God, he sent his son and did what I could never do. Man, that, that is, that's the fuel of the Christian life. It's the grace of God. Verse 44, 44 and 45. The next Sabbath. Almost the whole city. Can I just pause right there and say, when I read stuff like that, that's how I dream. I don't dream very often, but the dreams that I remember, they're like this. People standing out there, doors open, and it doesn't have to be me preaching, but people hearing the message of the grace of God in our city. Almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him, or literally blaspheming. What's the second thing we see in this text? Leading Jews. Now he says the Jews, but presumably he means the leading Jews. 
those who are still committed to Judaism and not to Jesus because a lot of ethnic Jews have just gotten saved. So when the Jews saw the crowds, they're filled with jealousy. Leading Jews have jealousy, and they jealously oppose Paul's call to follow King Jesus. In the days between the Sabbaths, word spreads about Paul's sermon. Paul and Barnabas make their way throughout the city, and as they do, we can safely assume that they kept sharing about Jesus, just as they did on the island of Cyprus. It seems that many who had been present for Paul's synagogue sermon are also telling others about Paul and the sermon that he preached. Hey, we know a guy that had some really interesting good news. You ought to come hear about it. The whole city shows up. Verse 44, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of God. Jews, Jewish converts, God-fearing Gentiles, and plain old pagans. People far from God, almost the whole city. They gather on the Sabbath to hear about the King of Israel who came to bring rest and relief from our true enemies. Who are our enemies? Our enemies are not ultimately our neighbor. Our our enemies are sin and Satan and death. And Christ has come and he's conquered them. In a week, the entire city suddenly has nearly everyone to show up to hear not about Jewish traditions or speculations or additions to the law of Moses, but simply about Jesus. Can you imagine those Jewish leaders? Like, we have been here a long time talking about the Bible, and none of y'all showed up. Paul and Barnabas show up. They tell you the king of Israel has come, and now everybody's here. Now, you want to know a litmus test for where your heart is with God? It's how do you respond when new people show up to hear the gospel? Y'all following me on that? How does your heart respond when a bunch of new people show up to hear about Jesus? Not to hear about your church, not to hear about you or your traditions or your favorite program or your history or how long you've been here or where you got your start. They just showed up to hear the gospel, the message of the grace of God shed forth through what Jesus did on the cross. How does your heart respond to that? Verse 45, as the leading Jews see the crowds how, are they, how do they respond? They are jealous. The word means not just jealous, but angrily jealous. Defensive, angry jealousy. And their jealousy leads them to contradict, verse 45, or to speak against the gospel that is spoken by Paul. They speak against what? They speak against grace. They speak against the message of grace because they are not longing for the righteousness that only God can give. They are resting on their self-righteousness. And they revile Paul, or literally they're blaspheming. The word might mean that they were insulting Paul because insulting your opponent is a time-tested way of trying to oppose their message But it's more likely that Luke uses the word as it is is used almost everywhere else in the Bible to say that they were blaspheming God. As they're speaking against Paul's message, they are blaspheming God. Why? How do we know that? Because it's impossible to honor God while you argue against the grace of God. 
If you're opposed to grace, if you think you can earn your way to heaven, if you think you can deserve your way to heaven, if you think you can be good enough to get to heaven, then you're blaspheming God who did, who is so holy, righteous, perfect, and good that there was no way you could ever get back to him, but he came down to bring you up. Otherwise, we're blaspheming God. They had turned their religion into a celebration of themselves their own history, their man-made traditions, their supposed religious superiority as Israelites. They were blind to their immeasurable need for God's grace. We don't know exactly how they opposed Paul, but they must have done so self-righteously. Surely they accused Paul of speaking against the law of Moses when in truth he was presenting Jesus as the fulfillment of Mosaic law. These Jewish leaders are unwilling to follow their king. They desperately want to shut down the proclamation of the gospel in their city. But Jesus had promised his disciples in Luke 21, 15, I will give you a mouth and a wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict, meaning successfully contradict. They might try to oppose you, they might try to speak against you, but they will not be able to stop the progress of the gospel. Let's see what happens next verse 46 through 49 Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly we've seen that word a lot in Acts they weren't shy about it Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you meaning to the Jews to the Israelites since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life behold we are turning to the Gentiles For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Third point, God's people, whether Jew or Gentile, are known by their response to the gospel. God's people, no matter matter your ethnic heritage, no matter your biological composition, no matter what your DNA says, it's about your spiritual DNA. Those who are God's people are known by their response to the gospel. Verse 46 Barnabas joins Paul. Paul's been doing all the speaking to this point. Now Barnabas is like, I, I'm going to get in there on this. You blaspheming God and talking bad about Paul and the gospel. I'm going to hop in here. And together they boldly announce the Jews' refusal of God's word. They, they tell them, hey, look, this is the fulfillment of God's promises to Israel. And if you're going to reject it, what have you done? You have judged yourself. You've judged yourself unworthy of eternal life. We see once more that belonging to God's people is not about biology, but belief in the Son of God. Yes, the gospel is given to ethnic Jews first because, as Peterson writes, the gospel is the fulfillment of God's promises to Israel, and Jews everywhere have a prior right to hear what God has done, but not all Israelites are Israel. Paul says it this way in Romans 9, 6, Not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Sadly, 
Some, like the leading Jews here in Antioch, refused the gospel that was so graciously brought to them and presented to them first. They got first dibs. And they were like, no thanks. And in so doing, they judged themselves unworthy of eternal life. Do you see the irony in this text? It's like the supreme use of irony. They, by judging themselves worthy, thinking they were good enough, thinking that they were super special, thinking that God owed them a favor because they thought they were worthy, they actually judged themselves unworthy of eternal life. Don't miss that. We live in a a culture that is all about how worthy we are. I've heard Christian songs and seen t-shirts that almost make it like Jesus came down because I was worthy. Wrong. Jesus left heaven because I was unworthy. Because there was no way I could get to heaven. There was nothing I could say or do. There was nothing I could do to erase just one sin against a holy God and the judgment that it deserves, much less the millions of sins, perhaps billions of sins that I've committed in 44 years on this planet. They thought they were worthy. If you're in a church that is celebrating your worthiness all the time, and none of you applies to none of you, but if you're online just tuning in, run away as fast as you can. Jesus is the one who is worthy. If you think you're all that in a bag of chips and God owes you something for how good you are, you've missed it and you will be eternally disappointed in the life to come. You will not have eternal life. There's a trend today to talk about how worthy we are. Church, left to ourselves, the only thing worthy we, only thing of which we are worthy is hell. Let this be a reminder to us that any worthiness we have that is worth anything comes only through faith in Jesus Christ who is truly worthy. And the only way we can come to the one who is worthy is as those who are fully convinced of our unworthiness. In Antioch, the Jews have been notified of Jesus and many have received their king. Jews who had been scattered from Israel's historic boundaries are instantly placed by faith in Israel's king, the king who rules all nations and whose kingdom, who though presently unseen, is borderless and rapidly advancing. How is it advancing? Do you see it in verse 49? As the word of the Lord spreads. Isaiah said this would happen. He said that the scattered of Israel would be gathered. And we're seeing it happen right here. As Thompson writes, through the proclamation of the good news of forgiveness brought through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. But some Jews refuse Jesus and they seek to shut down the gospel before it reaches the crowd, before it reaches the multitude. And Paul and Barnabas understand that this mounting Jewish rejection means what? It means it's time to turn to the Gentiles. The word turn means to forcibly change direction, to forcibly go in a new path. Paul and Barnabas understand it's time to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And why do they understand that? It's it's not like they're just being strategic. Well, the Jews rejected it, so let's try some other people. 
It's because they knew the Old Testament. Do you see that in verse 47? They quote from Isaiah 49, 6 as justification for what they're doing. Look, we've tried to give the gospel to those who are ethnically Jewish, and many have received Christ and entered the true kingdom of God. Some have rejected him. What's next? Isaiah 49, 6 says, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. The Old Testament told us that God's people would include Gentiles. Must be time to go to the Gentiles. Now, some of you who are Bible scholars are sitting there thinking, but I thought that was about Jesus. You're right. It is primarily about Jesus. Simeon, back in Luke 2.25, quotes the exact same text about Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world, right? Jesus is the light shining in the darkness that the darkness cannot overcome. Jesus is the great light that shines upon people walking in great darkness. But get this, when he shines on you, he does so so that now he can shine through you. Jesus doesn't shine on you for your light to be hidden under a bushel the rest of your life. No, he shines on you and in you to shine through you to people who still need to know that he is the light of the world. In other words, those who are saved by Jesus become an extension of Jesus. You get brought into his family and into his body, and Christ is the leader. He is the head. Webb says it this way, as we are brought back into a right relationship with God, God's people become one with God's servant in his worldwide mission. You see what happens in verse 48 and 49 as the Gentiles hear this news? Gentiles who've been chasing after false gods, Gentiles who've been wondering about Yahweh and this son that he might send. Gentiles who've been roaming in darkness their whole life, their whole existence. Look at what happens in 48 and 49. The Gentiles go crazy. They go nuts. You say, well, that's not what my, my translation says. That's the, that's the DJPV, Daniel James Palmer version. They lose it. What? We get in on this? Do you see that? They are simultaneously rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. Y'all, I, I understand. There's some traditions, you know, they want to be very reverent. They just want to sit, listen, don't get too excited. There's, there's a proper time and a place for that. The, the Bible talks about moments of silence and being contemplative. But y'all, there's a time to there's a time to celebrate. And and I don't understand traditions that are devoid of expressions of joy. We see expressions of joy throughout the Bible and when you really get the good news, when you are humbled, to your core, recognizing I am utterly a wretched man. I am unworthy of anything but hell, death, and the grave, but God sent his son for me. Man, that, that produces leaks in your eyes and raising of hands. It does something to you. Not everybody has to express it in the same way, but they're rejoicing and glorifying. Now, what's interesting is they're glorifying the word of the Lord. Now, I've heard people say, well, I don't want to worship the Bible. I just want to worship Jesus. Nah, of course. 
But by golly, where would we be without God revealing us who Jesus, revealing to us who Jesus is in his word? We'd be nowhere. So they, they are glorifying the Bible. The word of God, the message of the gospel. Peterson wants us to notice the contrast, and I think he's right here. He says, notice some of the Jews rejected the word of God and judged themselves unfit for eternal life. In contrast, many Gentiles show they are destined for eternal life by glorifying the same word of the Lord that the Jews rejected. Notice that they rejoice in and glorify this word of the Lord. Why? Because it reveals to them Jesus. The Jesus that saves is not just any Jesus out there. It's the Jesus revealed in the gospel. And we thank God for revealing to us Jesus in his word. We cherish the word. We read the word. For apart from this word, we cannot know Christ. And that day, that day is many as were appointed to eternal life believe. Verse 48. Now, there's a few of you out there who are excited about this verse because of the theological challenges that it presents to us, and you want to see what I have to say. I'm probably not going to satisfy you this morning. Here's what I want to say about verse 48. Luke presents two truths that are not in conflict. First, we must believe on Jesus No one believes on Jesus. And second, no one believes on Jesus apart from God's gracious initiative. There is no salvation without belief in Jesus. And yet, in some way, those who believe were appointed to eternal life. The word appointed is in the perfect tense and a passive voice. What does that mean? Completed action in the past that can't be undone. And you didn't do it, God did it. That's an unavoidable biblical truth, okay? Meaning there was an unchangeable action by God in the past by which he sets apart, determines, or ordains. It's what the Bible says. Now this morning, I am not going to dive into the various approaches to working out how God's sovereignty and human responsibility work in salvation. Here's what I'm going to affirm that's clear. The Bible is clear that man is responsible for sin, And God is responsible for salvation. No one's going to enter heaven celebrating the wisdom of their choice, but rather the unbelievable truth that God sent His Son and won over their wicked heart in the presentation and the hearing of the gospel. Luke is clear. No one is saved without God's gracious initiative, and no one is saved unless they believe on Jesus. And all must be called to believe on Christ. But Luke's point, And this is important because people read verse 48 and they go sideways and they miss Luke's point. So I want to make sure we don't miss Luke's point, all right? Y'all still here? All right. Well, what is Luke's point? That's a good question. He is not asking us to rehash timeless theological debates. Rather, he is encouraging us, those who already know Jesus, that a refusal and a rejection of the gospel by Israelites or anybody else does not mean that God is defeated. It doesn't mean that God is done saving. It doesn't mean that somehow God is losing. Rejection of the gospel among Jews 
led instead to its reception among many Gentiles. And all of this, Luke wants us to know, is according to God's plan. King Jesus, even when the gospel is rejected, is still on the move. He's winning some Israelites. He's grafting in some Gentiles so that many, many will hear the gospel and believe. And the gospel, do you see it in verse 49? will spread throughout the region. It doesn't just stay static in one place. It moves. This word spread throughout, is, it's like it was contagious. It's like good COVID. The gospel, the gospel somebody, somebody got inoculated against the gospel over here, and you thought, well, man, that means God's defeated. No, it just means we're going over here with the gospel, and the gospel's going to keep spreading. What does that mean for us, church? It means we, we don't stop sharing the gospel just because somebody rejects it. It means gospel rejection doesn't mean that you're a failure in your sharing of the gospel. If you share the gospel, you, that's success. You be faithful and let God handle the fruit. It means we pray for the salvation of ethnic Jews and we present to them Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament. What does Paul say? He says, now is the time of the gathering in of Gentiles and we, we live in such a way for God that we provoke ethnic Jews to jealousy in a good way. They see how much we're honoring God and glorifying God and living for God. They're like, what do they got? And you get the chance to tell ethnic Jews, we got Jesus. How about you turn to him as well? It means we thank God for saving us. We go in the power of His Spirit, announcing that Jesus forgives sins, recreates heart to know and love God. For any who hear the gospel, turn, turn from sin and believe on Christ. It means we present Jesus without hesitation, reservation, embarrassment, and we let God do the rest. And finally, it means persecution cannot stop the mission or steal our joy. Look at these last verses, 50 through 52. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Persecution can't stop the mission or steal our joy. As, as with Jesus in Jerusalem, do you, do you ever read Acts and feel like you're getting a flashback to Jesus in Jerusalem? I feel that way often. And here it is again. Jewish leaders are concocting a plan to collude with city leaders against Jesus' people. They incite, meaning they appeal to the emotions. They stir up the emotions of devout women of high standing, meaning upper-class Gentile women who had converted to Judaism. And they also appealed to leading men of the city, most likely the husbands of these ladies and some city magistrates. We aren't told how they incite the people, but what did they likely accuse them of? The same things that Jesus was accused of, of wanting to overthrow the government, of belittling Moses, of wrecking Jewish traditions. Once again, we find Jews colluding with governing authorities to counter Jesus, but their threats and persecution only confirms their condemnation. What do Paul and Barnabas do? They shake off the dust of their feet. This is a prophetic-style declaration of God's judgment that was given to the disciples by Jesus. Do you remember that when he sends his disciples out in Luke 9? 
Jesus says, wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust of your feet. Why? As a testimony against them. The leading Jews, those who were closest to being able to understand who Jesus was, were actually furthest from it. And Paul and Barnabas judged them like they're pagans. And they persecute Paul and Barnabas. But their persecution of these disciples, of these ambassadors, only fuels the progress of the gospel. What do they do? They say, well, you persecuted us. We're going to sit on our hands and go home and cry. They're like, no, I guess it's time to go to Iconium. And we'll do the same thing there. Church persecution is not a sign of gospel failure. It is a fuel for gospel advance. Persecution cannot stop what the presence of the Spirit brings to the lives of the new disciples of Antioch, and it can't stop what the Spirit of God is doing in Paul and Barnabas. Do you see it? They are filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So in closing, I don't know what you're facing this morning. I don't know where you've come from this morning. But I know in a room this size, there are some who don't yet know the death-conquering king from Israel. He is reigning and ruling in righteousness. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And he died on a cross for sin. And he offers forgiveness to all who trust in him. And when you believe on Christ, you get God on the inside. He unzips you and pours himself into you so that you can know God, which is what you were created for. And in that, there's a joy that conquers all. Even persecution, even death, even having to move on because, from a city or a co-worker because they They've refused Christ. There is joy that is unspeakable and cannot be removed from you. And if you don't know this king, I pray, I beg of you today, that you return from your sin, believe on Christ, and find this unmistakable, unremovable joy. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, bring people Bring people from our city to hear the gospel. God, in this congregation, renew the joy of our salvation. God, in this, in this congregation, those who, who face defeat and discouragement and, and taking it personally, God, I, I pray that you would liberate them today to, to reflect on Christ and know that he is winning and know that he will win. God, help us to serve you with gladness and with joy and those who are far from God, still lingering in darkness. God, be the light that shines through your church. Shine through us. Bring people, we pray, to the feet of Jesus to be saved. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke Podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.